Welcome to the Coffee Clatch Crew, the Magicians episode review. I'm Jason Pistorino. I'm Christina Lomangino. And today we are reviewing episode 12, Ramifications. Written by David Reed and Christina Strain, directed by Chris Fisher. So David Reed did Flying Forest and Christina Strain did Plan B, both of which we ranked very highly. And Chris Fisher did the first two episodes, Night of Crowns and Hotel Spa Potions, as well as Plan B. The synopsis for this episode was, Julia, Katie, and Penny each make sacrifices to finally face Reynard. Quentin and Elliot learn a disturbing truth about Fillory. And IMDb gave this an 8.6, same as last episode. So Jason, what are your overall thoughts on this episode? Things are starting to really rev up, and it has been for the last couple episodes. So many secrets revealed. We found out Umber's alive and skinny (laughs) (laughs) and kind of a pussy. Yeah. We got to see Quentin and Elliot together again. Yes. That felt good. And we got to see Elliot in a suit again. I forgot. Like, he really makes a suit look good. (laughs) I do love their interactions together. And it's been quite a while since we've had that. I also really enjoyed Quentin finally becoming a man a little bit. Yes. We've been asking for that for a long time. When is he going to step up? He stood up to Mayakovsky. Yes. Which is no small thing and made him own up to his responsibilities. He helped save Alice, finally, which he's been trying to do for all of season two. And he stood up to Umber. Mm-hmm. I mean, Elliot's looking at him like, man, you really want to do this right now? But that's how much he loves Fillory. The both of them, I really enjoyed that Elliot called Fillory his home. Yeah, for sure. And He's no longer just a king that was made king by mistake or, you know, without wanting to be necessarily. Now it's his place. It's his home. They care more about it than the gods that created this world. Yeah, we've, we've seen that now. I also really, really liked this episode. I continue to enjoy the pace that they're moving at, the book themes. I'm going to rank it high, but I also did have a lot of downsides. I felt like I, there was so many in both categories. How dare you? In this episode. I thought it was a, a little anticlimactic that Reynard didn't die in the end. We've been chasing him for a long time. This has been the Julia Katie revenge scheme. And not that I didn't appreciate the way Julia handled that, because I did, but it felt like a lot of buildup to just him disappearing with Persephone. It was a lot of buildup. And no, it didn't have the reprieve that we wanted, which was him dead. But I have a feeling he's in trouble, and this kind of opens up a storyline that we might get in a couple seasons later, you know? Where was Persephone? We may find out. Or maybe not. Maybe we'll never go back to that, but I doubt that. I hope we do, because I did feel like some of the things were wrapped up really quickly, and I didn't feel that satisfying. You know, we finally got to it after the long wait, and one of them was Persephone, though I think we will certainly get more backstory on her and him being her son, what happened with all of that. What we did get was Julia finally making a huge step that we've been talking about since season one. I think that's what the build-up crescendo was. It wasn't actually about the fox. It's always been about Julia this whole time. And we did get that answer. 
And it paid off. We kept saying she's spending all of this time on revenge. It's not going to help her. It's not going to get her anywhere. And she came to that realization herself. And by letting it go, she was granted almost a gift for her action by yeah. getting her shade back. And we thought that was an impossibility. Things that were dropped a little quickly, though, the end to Senator Gaines, who I was really enjoying. I loved the idea of let's teach him magic. Let's get this all-powerful being to work for our side. And it, it felt like an abrupt death for him. Also an abrupt ending to Sylvia, who we didn't get much of her backstory. And finally, the bottom line is Ember is the big bad? It seems like it. I think maybe one of my gripes is that there have been a lot of bad guys in this season, which made it where each one's death or lack thereof probably wasn't as big as we wanted it to be. I mean, the Beast was a big death, but you kind of forgot about him already. Well, you know? and quick anticlimactic there, too. You spend mm -hmm. a whole season fighting the Beast. It's over in about five seconds. We spend another season fighting Reynard, and he disappears off into the underworld or the netherworld, wherever the hell, with Persephone. Right. Yeah. And now everything bad that's been happening, it turns out, is just Ember's idea of fun. Practical jokes, being a dick. I, I don't know that I love Ember being behind all of it. I do enjoy bringing Umber into it, and I can't wait to talk more about him and their balance together, which makes things come a bit more in focus. Yeah, and actually, speaking of a bit more in focus, the fact that Ember's been behind all this lately kind of makes sense to me, and, and I like it, because, one, I, I kept saying to myself, why would they let the beast get this much control? Why would they let this all happen? Now we know, for amusement, the king was never supposed to reign and fix Fillory. It's more of a game to them. You know, it's like they built this board game, interactive board game or Sims environment. The person who built it wanted to have fun with it. So they wanted robberies and they wanted killings. I say robberies and killings. I'm talking about like a video game. So now it kind of like all my questions of why would they even let this happen? It, it, it now has a story behind it. Well, it's definitely satisfying to learn more about them, the powers that be, as Richard called them last episode, the creatures working behind the scenes, a little about the Greek mythology with Persephone. We're going to talk later. Our character review this episode will be on Ember and Umber. But as a trivia point leading up to that, they describe deities or gods here in this universe, as beings of immense magical power who operate on a level far above most magicians or magical creatures. They come in many forms and are as diverse as the humans who worship them, but they can generally be categorized by their nigh invulnerability, extreme intelligence, immortality, and advanced magical abilities. However, the deities that we have been shown all have a megalomaniac view of themselves. <laughs> they treat humans as though they are disposable and that sharing their seed, their power, whatever gifts they give to them, is just that, a gift. Though unconfirmed, it would appear as though gods usually have a specific body, as with Ember and Umber, that can be destroyed. However, we've seen someone like Reynard have the ability to move in and out, so we don't have a firm take on that. Right. And also... Yeah, you know, you see Ember and Umber being what you think of with that god trope. They're above us. They have no time for our human matters. It's petty nonsense. If anything, they come in just to fuck with the humans. Persephone didn't seem to be that way. She seemed a different kind of god that had some compassion, feeling, cared about what was happening in the lives of humans. She helped Julia out. 
And yet she's been MIA for quite a while. Yeah, that's my question. She said she's been gone, but where has she been? Is there a reason behind it? And I'm willing to guess that we will find out eventually that there was a good reason behind it. And I want her to be one of the good gods. Apparently there is none right now. And she has compassion. We saw that unless she was just manipulating Julia, but it seems she does have compassion and feelings. I guess she would be if she's the one that's in charge of the underworld, especially with the children Mm -hmm. or the shades where they make miracles. Mm -hmm. That's compassion. Yeah. And speaking of her, that brings us right into New Faces and Places. We did have Persephone or Our Lady Underground played by Garcelle Bovis. And we also had Umber played by Nico Everswindle, both of whom we've talked a little about. We only got one new place and that was the Poison Room Fountain. Hmm. What did you think of that? I loved it. I actually wish we could have seen a little more of it. It was very cool. In a weird way, if you're a Game of Thrones fan, maybe you'll understand. You remember the image that we got when Danny went into the House of the Undying and she saw these flashes. One of them was of the throne room at King's Landing and it was empty. It was very dark. There was just a little shaft of light coming through and it was snowing inside of there. Something about the look of this place felt very much like that to me. But now I'm confused. In the Netherlands library, they had that actual door that they seem to be guarding with their lives, with this kill switch mm-hmm. to keep people out of there. But really, the poison room is in another world that you have to get to through one of the fountains in the Netherlands. So what's behind the actual door in the library? I think it's a gateway to that world. Another portal? Yeah. Oh, okay. So the way you can get to Fillory using other means. Mm-hmm. And is that how the librarians are getting the books exactly. in and out of there that they're stashing? Right. Okay. And finally, we have new spells and magic. We got another better look at the magic battery that Mayakovsky had been building, the storage cell that we're told holds an energy current from many magicians. We saw the Shade Reunion spell that was used to reunite Niffin Alice with Shade Alice. There was a six-stage Vermel anti-tampering enchantment. <laughs> Very wordy. The lock that was on the Poison Room Fountain. Yeah. That was pretty cool. I have much to say <clears throat> about that. I'll hold it for the scene. The Great Blank Spot. Probably the most intriguing to me. The missing yeah. pages from the master books of all the living. This is something we haven't learned any further. It's definitely going to be something probably in season three. Yeah, well, from what Sylvia said... It's going to be cataclysmically bad. And it's going to happen very soon. She says within weeks. Oh, so maybe we'll find out next episode. How does Sylvia know all this shit? I don't know. She knows advanced level magic enough to get She's into badass. the poison room, which she said her father taught her. But clearly, master magicians, the, the order of librarians, have put the spell on this fountain. You wouldn't think any normal magician would be able to break it. Yeah. She knows about the great blank spot from what she's deduced in her readings. And she's not an average kid. No, not at all. She is legit. We can infer a little bit from the fact that people who will have a death have the rest of their book written, much as she did, because she was able to go into her book and see, I see. I'm going to die. This is what's going to happen to me. And that's how she knew. She told us that she'd seen her fate already going into the poison room fountain. But anyone living, it's almost as though it's unsure. 
the, the future is not determined in a way that I guess it used to be. That's mm-hmm. really scary. You're just, it's written what you're going to do for the rest of your life prior to now. But, but now it's very unclear. And so what does that mean? Do you have any thoughts on that? I suppose there's going to be an event, I'm guessing the end of this season, that whoever wins dictates the rest of the story for everyone else. It's so big that it will affect all the worlds. And change everything. And change everything. Hmm. So the fate is no longer predetermined of everything. Exactly. Hmm. That's kind of cool, though. Very cool. Well, and finally, we had the ritual. We're not sure of the name or even what happens when it takes place, but the one that Katie had to perform on Senator Gaines in order to take his magic seems very bloody. (laughs) A few fun facts. One, we definitely messed up last week. I I guess mess up isn't the word, but we forgot what the original door was. And I can't believe we forgot about that because we talked about the clock so much in the beginning of the season. Yeah, it's not that I forgot. I was confused because I thought they were referring to the first door ever Mm -hmm. to Fillory. And it wasn't my understanding that the Chatwins going through the clock was the first time any child of Earth had ever come to Fillory. So I was thinking about that, not necessarily the first Chatwin door. But yeah, I love it. Me too. I love where this is going. I didn't think about that until one of our Clatchers wrote in to tell us. Yeah, we had a few of our Clatchers let us know, which is awesome. That's why we have our crew. Yeah, specifically Jennifer. She said, what about the grandfather clock that the Chatwins first entered through? So great call on that. Yeah, and I believe Anastasia rang in a couple days later. So thank you for that. This is great because if we miss something, we know we have a whole army behind us that can help us out. <laughs> and then a bit of news that probably all magician fans already know. Wizwan Manji, who plays Tick Pickwick, will recur during season three of Mr. Robot. We have a Mr. Robot podcast. It's very popular and one of our favorites. So this is pretty interesting. He's going to be playing Norm, the new partner of FBI agent Dominique DiPiero. Dom. Dom, Exactly. <laughs> And they'll work together to investigate the 5-9 hack. Now, he's been in a lot of things, a lot of TV shows and movies, a few of which, The Wolf of Wall Street, Transformers, Schitt's Creek, and a bunch of others. I don't know how he's going to fit in Mr. Robot, but that's only because right now I have the Tick Pickwick in my head. Wait, so the guy who plays Tick or Rafe? Tick. Okay, the older. Yeah. Gotcha. You get them confused a lot. No, I, did, I don't get them confused, but I thought when you had given me this news a little while ago, you were talking about the younger guy. So I kind of have been picturing that in my head. Now I have to readjust oh, I see. to calculate for Tick. And something that I've noticed that the magician's official Twitter account is asking everybody is what should we call the fans? Like what, uh, what should we name them? And I saw a few people say like Foo Fighters. We should be called the Foo Fighters. For magicians? Yeah. You mean? So they're trying to figure out a good name for that. No, I don't like that. I always hated the name of the Foo Fighters, period, for the show. I didn't even enjoy that they put it in there. I want something magical. Clatchers, we've asked you this before, such as when we look for terms for our rating and also our MVMs. So any good ideas? Yeah, and if you have any good ideas... They want you to write to them. So if you write to them and hashtag CKC Podcast, maybe they'll actually speak to us. We know that they're listening because every episode they are changing their... <laughs> we said it as a joke a couple podcasts ago. It was uncanny yeah. when we watched last night. It was as though they were addressing our every question and topic we brought up for last week's review. I loved it. That means we're on the right track. 
I mean, obviously, they're not filming and shooting right after our podcast, but <laughs> they're not, it means Jason? that our thoughts are right there. Well, what about the big magicians news? Coming from Deadline.com, but it was also elsewhere that Magicians was officially renewed for season three by Sci-Fi. That's great news. A 13 episode. They will continue with that. Thank you to being one of the very few shows left on television that gives us a season's worth of episodes. <laughs> yeah. All right, let's jump into our plot. We open up back at Breakbill South with Mayakovsky. Yes, I was so happy. I was like, he's back. And right at the beginning of the episode, way to give us what we want. He tells Q and Julia that it is impossible to bring Alice back, and fog is no help. Still tremendously bad idea. Fine. Then he won't help us. We'll take it to Dean Fogg. With one morning fart, I release more magic than Henry Fogg has in his whole life. But you can't get it up for this? No. You can't. I won't. The energy they would need to do this would take a hundred master magicians. That's when Julia sees Mayakovsky's battery that holds the large magical current. He says it took him years to make and he needs it. So here's one thing that's really important that we have to keep in mind. Is that whatever the magicians brings forth, even if it doesn't culminate in the storyline you thought it was going to, like for example the battery, needing it when the magic wears out, now it comes back into the plot and there's a reason for it. So with everything, there should be a reason. So if there's anything in the storyline that, that just stops, like the bullet, which I'll get to later, there's going to be a case where they'll, thank God they have it because they need it at that moment. Well, this brings up a cu- couple of questions for me. What do you think Mayakovsky was initially intending to use it for? Well, when once all magic died because the fountain was dying, he would still have magic at his... We thought that. But when he says it here, he says it took him years to make and he needs it. The whole wellspring problem is done. It sounded more personal. Something he was planning on using it for. And also, is this the only battery he has? He insinuated there was a couple that he had made. And you have to imagine if he was going to use this to power magic if we had a brownout, yes, it requires a crap ton of energy to reunite a Niffin with their shade. But maybe he might have more. Maybe. I don't know. Well, this is where Q stands up. He bullies him into helping and throws Emily back in his face, saying Mayakovsky is the reason Charlie turned Niffin. He can't erase that, but he can help Alice now. Way to go, Q. My boy is all grown up. Finally, he stands up for something, and he was dead on. It's true. For you to change Mayakovsky's mind, that's got to be a huge feat. I have a feeling this is something... Deep down, Mayakovsky has always known and felt very guilty about. And perhaps this will help him to get a bit of redemption on it. It also made Julia look at him differently. She said to Q, he's a good friend, better than she deserves. And next, Mayakovsky explains how they perform the spell. First, they have to separate the shade from Julia. Ooh, this was kind of gross. <laughs> he had to remove the Alice shade from inside of her body where she's been storing it. Yeah, I wrote that. That was weird. <laughs> And then they lock Shade Alice inside the magic cage, at which point Mayakovsky uses the spell to take the magic from the battery and summon Niffin Alice into the cage. It was kind of interesting because he was speaking his spell in Russian, but then Quentin came in and started speaking Latin. I thought that was cool. It kind of added texture to Mm. the whole thing. And they were like working together. There were two different flows of magic happening, and they all united inside of the cage and it almost looked like a bit of a battle. They had to sort of jam Niffin Alice and yeah. Shade Alice back together. Great magic scene. Very visually pleasing. I was afraid it wasn't going to work. 
Really? Yeah. Oh, that would have sucked. Because they gave a close-up on Shade Alice. Oh, yeah, and yeah. she was so scared being inside that cage, and Niffin Alice was pacing around. It's very intimidating. Well, for sure. The following scenes with Julia, I was like, is she still a Niffin? And I was trying to see if there was any glimmer of blue light in her face. Oh, well, that too didn't yeah. work. But even before, while it was going on, I didn't know if the physical reunion would work. Oh. Um, for a lot of different reasons. What you brought up, After is there a timestamp time? on it? Is it different because she's a Niffin? I They've been talking too. about this spell, too, that Q has been trying to find as though it's impossible right. forever. But you got Mayakovsky. He really is an amazing magician. I love it. Q is like, listen, real talk, y'all got to help us because you fucked up, which made her fuck up. <laughs> the end of this scene was scary, too. Recombined Alice looked blank and wasn't saying anything to Q until finally she just said why. Well, I understand because she was always someone who was looking for knowledge. She wanted to learn everything. And with her being a Niffin, the world was open to her. She knew all the magic. She could feel everything. She could go anywhere and learn whatever. She was magic. Yeah. As soon as she became human, emotions came back in and she was forgetting all that she learned. And that's why she was writing down everything on the ground. She was whatever she could remember, the fleeting memory she was writing down to try to encapsulate what she did learn as a Niffin. And even the feeling of it, she was saying being back in human form is like being trapped in a cage, which was a great metaphor to the actual cage they had to use here. It was like a shell. It was containing her. She could almost feel the restriction of being back there. And uh, so much weakness, as she puts it later, We'll, we'll talk about that. And this is when we get to see that image of all the different worlds in the Netherlands, which we haven't seen since, I think, episode two. It's our cover photo. It's been a while. The podcast. I always call them the Cheerios. <laughs> and to me, they look like blood cells. Yeah. Under a microscope. And I think that was shown for a few reasons. One, when we see Umber, and he shows us this new world that he's making, Cuba. <laughs> <laughs> so it gives us a visual difference. We can see the Fillory world and, and all those worlds in there, the universe and then this little one that he wanted small and then also because of penny having to travel to the poison room it's another world so it's just a little reminder for us it's a visual jump it also tells us we were very aware of it the first time the crew went to the netherlands and they could see fountains as far as the eye could see Mm -hmm. and it was sort of like without a map or directions you would never find your way back to the place you're looking for because that's how many fountains there are and there's a fountain for every world yeah thinking about it that way it's an insane amount in fact we'll talk about it in our bonus cast for the magicians but i really enjoyed they went in detail in the books in a way they haven't in the show as to geographically just how hard it was to navigate the netherlands and there were squares leading from fountain to fountain, almost like a big cobblestone street. Mm-hmm. In order to get around, you had to remember, okay, the earth fountain is five squares up, two squares right, three squares back. You know, Because it would just get so confusing, everything would look exactly the same. And this is when Sylvia shows Penny the map. And with this, Penny's able to get to the poison room fountain to see what was behind that door. Mm. How did she get the map, did they say? I don't think so. That's what I mean. She's got all these secrets up her sleeve. Yeah. 
Unfortunately, I didn't have time to see the show a second time. So I always miss stuff while I'm writing notes for <laughs> something we just saw. Yeah, this is going to be very beneficial, though, if Penny is able to hold on to this map. Oh, for sure. For the future. It's like the Marauders map for Harry Potter. Yeah. <laughs> Next, Elliot shows up at Break Bill South and tells Q he was banished from Fillory. This is that great little reunion we spoke of. <laughs> Also, in the books, he read that Ember and Umber did this often. He sent the Chatwins back to Earth, either when their adventure was done or presumably when they messed up. And Elliot is assuming he was kicked out because he's not doing a very good job. I love how he surprised Q. Just walks in. <laughs> Q's like, what? What are you doing here? And Q also explains that they gave the button away. But Elliot quickly understands when he sees they did it to save Alice. Alice comes charging in, doesn't want to talk to anyone. It's like me on Monday mornings at work. Everyone's like, good morning, how was your weekend? I'm like, no. She's stomping around. I don't want to talk. And then Elliot's face when she walks out of the room, he like gives a little wave like, hi. <laughs> like surprise slash Elliot's attitude slash gratitude. It was very cool. Yeah. So much happened in that one second, emotion wise. Let's see how Josh is doing as High King. <laughs> Tick tells Josh that the High King and Queen have vanished, leaving him the only child of Earth and Fillory, which also makes him the High King. The fact that they just keep giving it away, the value of High King to me has kind of diminished. What kind of laws govern this rulership? It can only be children of Earth who don't understand shit about Fillory. They just have to walk in and essentially crown themselves. And if everybody else bounces and you are the only one left, you don't even have to bother going to see that dude. The old soldier right. going through the ritual. You just sit your ass on the throne and Well, he decided. King. That's what I love. But it kind of makes sense now because Ember's and Umber were like, all right, how do we make it where it's constantly fun? Why don't we do earthlings who don't know shit about Fillory and don't know how to be kings and we throw them in there and see how they do. It'll be fun. And it really gives them the illusion of control when they right. actually have no control. They're not meant to rule this kingdom. So down to business, Rafe tells him very quickly, half the court is still rats. The talking beavers are in revolt. They want dental. The measly mountains have disappeared, and the thrones are cursed. Yes, yeah, so don't sit down on that, Josh. <laughs> I love the way Josh is treating this. He's not looking overwhelmed. I know he is, but he's kind of playful with it. And it's kind of, I know it's not the right way to be as a king, but in contrast to the way Elliot and the rest of the crew were with this, it was kind of relieving. It's the typical Josh. He's the comic relief. It gets too heavy, we bring him in, we smoke a bong, we lighten things up. <laughs> and of course, Josh says, okay, is anything not fucked? He decides they need to bring in rat translators, give the beavers the dental, and rule under his new motto, Hakuna Matata. <laughs> Hakuna Matata. This is so funny. I feel like this show definitely gives winks to our age group. Because hmm. of Hakuna Matata, even though like Lion King's coming back a with a, a new live adaptation, but... You know, it's kind of like a wink-wink to us when we were kids. Absolutely. He then takes out a bong and blows smoke at the council, at which point they all get high, burn the cursed chairs, and bring in a new throne, and generally act ridiculous. I actually enjoyed this because, for me, it gave me hope. Like, oh my god, so you can change all this stuff. You can just burn it. Let's get rid of it. If it's cursed, let's get rid of it. Let's have some fun. Let's party. Kind of, but I think the only reason it was tolerated, we find out later, is Ember was probably enjoying himself watching all of this nonsense go down. If he actually stepped up and said, oh, let me implement democracy and try to make things work, you'd get kicked the fuck out. Right, yeah. 
And knowing that it's magic weed, I was wondering, like, how would that feel? It was funny, the council getting the contact high and yeah. it being silly. I just, for a minute, I was really enjoying it. And then I said to myself, oh, they're spending kind of a lot of time dancing around with music. Like, was it worth having this whole scene go on? I think so. I don't know. I think so, because we have to see a change. If it was just him now worried and being like Elliot, we'd be mm-hmm. like, all right, oh, come on. But I think this shows his personality, shows what can be done. They do have a little more control than you thought, even though um- Ember could fuck shit up if he doesn't like it. It gets rid of the stuffiness, and that's what I wanted. Fillory's supposed to be magical, no snuffy, stuffiness. Well, he was doing something, which is kind of what I was proposing Elliot do for a while now. Instead of trying to figure out what's going to make the Florians happy, what do they want, just start ruling and yeah. do shit. So for a minute, as crazy as Josh was being, he was trying. Hakuna Matata, man. And then it all fell apart a little, but we'll get there. First, we go over to the physical cottage, where Julia comes back and tries to explain to an upset Katie that while she has lost her shade for good this time, she doesn't have to turn into the beast. She just needs Katie's help to keep her in line so she can do good. This is one of those moments where it felt... Eerie. Are the magicians listening to us? We were just talking about, is she going to turn into the beast? What is the explanation for how she's acting and wanting to stay on the straight and narrow, be a good person? It makes sense why Katie's so upset with her, but she agrees to do it because she needs her too. And that's when she brings in Senator Gaines, who tells them, Reynard is obsessed with Our Lady Underground and everything he has done is to get back at her. Like a child. Mm. Julia tells them Our Lady is Persephone, and they can use that to lure Reynard, make him think she's there. But then what? How are they going to get rid of him? And this is the question it always comes down to. We can get him here. We don't have the magic to get rid of him. Their answer is to teach Gaines to use magic. He has the power, so he just needs to learn, which I really wanted to see. This person of a greater power level, but fighting on our side, learning yeah, magic too. for the first time. Even one scene with that would have been cool. For sure. But they wouldn't have been able to get rid of Reynard in one or two episodes without me saying, it's not believable. Not that magic is believable. It's silly for me to say, but I want a progression of him learning. I don't want like one montage scene and then all of a sudden he's a kick-ass magician that knows everything. No, you know? if he if it would have been defeated that way, I wouldn't have enjoyed it either. But just knowing we were going to lose Senator Gaines in another scene or two, mm. having a little more time, for instance, instead of seeing Josh prancing around getting the council stoned with Gaines trying to learn magic and at least we go out having known him a little more and him trying to become a magician. Right. It could not work. He could decide, okay, take my magic. But I don't know. I I would have liked to see that. Couldn't he have just given him some of his sperm? (laughs) Drink this. It's so weird because we don't know with a demigod, Mm. right? Yeah. How things work. He he doesn't know. They don't know. I can't believe I just said that. (laughs) Only in magicians I could say that and get away with it. Very true. Game of Thrones, like, why doesn't Stark just give her his sp- his sperm, and uh, you know, <laughs> you say drink say this? <laughs> this is also when we were thinking, like, I knew he could be the weapon. Of course, as soon as we were introduced to Senator Gaines, I was like, he could be the weapon, you know? Yeah. And he was the weapon, but just not in the way we wanted. I like that actor. I like the whole way the storyline could go if he could be a good guy. But then again, 
how long could you have him in a storyline where all he has to do is suggest something and they'll do it? That might get boring after a while. Well, they really ramped that up, I think, because he was going out Mm -hmm. here. If they would have extended this a tiny bit, maybe they wouldn't have had him doing that, you know? A funny scene would have been him trying to do it to someone and it not working. But yes. in a funny way, you know, yes. where everyone laughs. That would have been great. Seeing Marco berate him would have been enjoyable. Berate. There's just so many berate. possibilities for Gaines. I'm sorry to see him go. Elliot sees that Q wants to help fix Alice, but advises him to let it run its course. Mayakovsky is the greatest magician on earth, and he's watching her. I was like, hell yeah, we knew he was badass, but I didn't know he was like the greatest. And it makes sense. Again, sorry, but uh, Penny, you should have stuck with Mayakovsky. We now understand why the storyline had to go to the library. I and don't stick with the greatest know, magician on earth. And I'll come back to that. Okay. <laughs> and as only Elliot can do, now will you please tell me what Puff the Magic Dragon said to you? <laughs> Another reference to our generation. Of course. Q explains that the first porthole is still open. They figure out that the first one the Chatwins used was the clock. Q remembers seeing it at his Yale interview. The same clock as the one on the cover of the book. The fillery books, yeah. But that guy died. Yeah. From his interview, so now they're left wondering what, what happened, happened to, to it. it. This was great because this is exactly what our clashers said. And it makes sense now. It's the first door that the Chatwins used. So mm-hmm. it may not have been the first ever, but it's the first one the Chatwins used. Yeah. First one in the book series, and our magicians would know about it. Q would certainly know about it. Now we see that the potion in Josh's bong allows him to see Margot, who is still stuck in the fairy realm and wants to know why he isn't looking for her. He needs to find Rafe. He got her there so he can get her back. Yeah, where is her slowness? <laughs> I don't know. Chilling? Hanging? <laughs> oh. Boom! Uh, well, it makes sense. Josh smoked the wrong herb. Yeah. And now he can see other worlds. The way Q saw Julia Shade. And there Margot is. But all that scene did was remind me, oh yeah, Margot, why don't we see what Margot and that world looks like? That'd be where really nice to look at. Where are the fucking fairies? <laughs> <laughs> Well, I was hoping to see where they reside only because the fairies, I, we've said this before, I don't really like the way they depicted them. Yeah. But I think they'd probably have a lot of fun and really do well with the scenery of the fairies. It's a whole other magical the, realm. Yeah. That would be very cool. I'm assuming it's probably a little intimidating. That ups the drama factor instead of just running around White Spire that we've seen eight trillion times. <laughs> With Josh getting high, Lorian's coming in and attacking them through the door. The council, I mean, this is time better spent. That's what I meant before in other areas, such as what's going on with Margot. But I think we'll get that. We got one episode left. We've been saying, oh, we'll get the fairies next time. We'll get the fairies next time. And, you know, it's kind of been a while. It's been a fairy long bit. (laughs) Boy. God. That's bad. That's not one of my best. You know, get it like fairly long bit. It's been a fairly... You get it. Yeah. Laugh track. I got it. (laughs) We do see magic, though, in other worlds. As we go back to Penny and Sylvia, who find the poison room fountain. is the part where we said Sylvia unlocks that cover and tells Penny she's looking for a book of her own because of something she discovered. Every other book I checked of somebody alive right now ends in 20 blank pages. The Order's known about it for years. They call it the Great Blank Spot, some kind of cataclysmic badness. Well, what causes it? They don't know, just that it happens soon, like weeks. Now, what we didn't mention before is that the Order has known about this for years. 
they've known about it. They know it's happening soon, within a matter of weeks. They just weren't going to do anything. What was the plan here? I think they viewed it as they're the librarians, the bookkeepers, and it's not their job, their duty, or their place to try to change what these books are saying. But it was their place to to make sure that they were hidden so nobody could figure it out. I mean, you're either involved or you're not. It feels very much like they're involved and like the order was established to protect people from not getting this knowledge that could destroy worlds and blow people up. And yet here we are seeing something major is going to happen and they're not even allowing other people to read that knowledge. They're hiding all of these books. Now, Sylvia thinks she'll be able to figure it out by getting her hands on a librarian's book. But if everybody alive right now has no end to their story, no last 20 pages, is she looking for somebody that just died? I don't quite understand how that's going to help her. Well, I think what we did find out is she was actually looking for her book, right? No, because she read her book. Well, unless that was really recent, you think, that she got her hands on her book somehow? Yeah, I think maybe I'm confused in that one. Because we find out later that she did read her book because uh, she knew the end of her story. She right. knew she was going to die. I had thought that she just read it there. That's what I picked up on that. Oh. And she was like, no, I'm supposed to die, like realizing. Maybe you're right. I didn't think about it that so way. So it was more selfish than, than anything else. Yeah, it could be. But if she had learned that there and if she learned more about what was going to happen to the world, you think she would tell Penny that? No, all she learned about was that she dies. No, so that's bullshit. Because there wouldn't be anything else in that book. She dies. She did. Yeah, but that's, that's kind of the reason she was looking for somebody that's part of the order to explain uh, what's going to happen here. And after all that... Maybe she didn't have time. She dies. Penny almost dies. Yeah, this place, man, we'll, we'll get to that because it doesn't happen quite yet. Seriously dangerous. But she ends it saying exactly what we're talking about here. Once your book is written, your fate is sealed. Mm. When it's on those lines, that's your destiny. And that makes me think about when we talked about something bigger than Ember last time, right? a force that's out there. We also said, what is the point of having all these books on every person in the world? Well, the point is it's their life. It's their fate. And word by word, what's going to happen to them? Who is writing that? Where is that coming from? Good question. You know? I know what to do. White out. <laughs> you white it out, you write it down, and Jason gets all the money in the world. Boom. The <laughs> end. We also learned that it's not Sylvia's first time fountain splunking. <laughs> I love that. Fountain splunking. And Penny's worried about how she's going to get back out again. She says, no, no problem. Ties herself to a rope. I wondered there, I guess that's what made me think perhaps she already knew because it seemed like she wasn't too concerned about a way to get <laughs> back out. But you're starting to bring me over to your line of thinking here. I think it's really good that Penny, for once, even though it was a stranger to us, finally got someone helping him, even though what he was doing was to help Katie. <laughs> but <laughs> And it didn't end up helping at all anyway? No, it did. They needed to make the bullet. Yeah. And the bullet will be used, and I'll tell Eventually. you that later. I know. We'll get to that. So another thing it just reminded me, I was saddened, but it has to happen is Penny is on his own again. And he's on his own in a dark place. Yeah. Poisonous place. And I just need someone to hug Penny (laughs) and say, it's going to be all right. And come hang out with us for a little while. 
will help you out. And by the way, let's all stop what we're doing and try to help you find the magic that you're missing Seriously. with your hands. Let's all stop. All help you out. season long, <laughs> yeah. nobody even gives a shit. Come on. And he puts his life in danger yet again. We do get one more shot of them entering, you know, landing inside of the poison room, which we talked a little bit about the looks of that, whatever it was that was falling that could have been ash. I thought it was ash, yeah. Uh, given the fact that we do find out it's poisonous, the oh. air or something. And we did learn that uh, Kanye West is really misunderstood. I wanted to ask you, these oh, books, boy. <laughs> yeah. are these books written for humans too, or muggles or whatever we call them, nomadges, or just for magicians? Because if it's just for magicians, that means that Kanye West is a magician in this universe. Yeah, I wasn't sure when you asked me that. I'm thinking now, geez, if it is for every single person, because they said every person alive, right, not magician, then that supports the idea of something bigger out there that's controlling multiple worlds, Earth, Fillory. Right, but Kanye does have that song where he says, I am a god. Oh, geez. I am a god. So maybe he's letting us know. I don't want to. I won't say anything. Keep my mouth shut about Kanye. You just misunderstand him. Senator Gaines goes to see Reynard, who gives him a box with his wife's ear in it. Now we know he knows that Gaines went back to the witches. And I was wondering that as soon as he walked into the room, I was like, does he know? I mm. bet he knows. Yeah. He's got to know. Are you still trying to be a good person? As if there is such a thing. Gaines says he will not become him. But Reynard says he is wasting his talent and can't avoid it anyways. Look at what I did to Julia. I put a tiny black spot in her soul. She scrubbed and scrubbed until it became a hole. Now she can never go back to who she was. Oh, that was such a powerful, Very powerful. statement. So powerful. I mean, what made it even more powerful is the fact that he just said, he just walked out. Basically like, listen, all I had to do was plant a little seed inside of her and she made it grow and she turned into what I needed her to be. I've done the same to you. Good luck, buddy. I'll you see you no soon. no choice. Yeah. God, that's what made it worse. As soon as he walked away, I'm sure Senator Gaines was like, fuck. Is he? Because now I am having these feelings. And <laughs> is he in my head? Did he ruin her and ruin me now? And that's what inevitably got him. And all because of whatever has gone down between Reynard and Persephone. And that's why I'm so eager to find out more about that. I hope they at least address it in the season finale, even if we don't get the whole story. Reynard is such a jerk. But like any gods, they don't really love their kids. They need them and they want them for some reason, but they don't love their kids. Percy Jackson, even Percy's father, I guess he cared for him, but didn't really like love him. And they're right? constantly using them yeah. to, to get to their own means. But also I think it's funny that they are depicted as being above humans and not really caring. And then when you see what goes on in their personal lives, mm -hmm. they have such human qualities. They have these emotions and they get angry and he's basically upset because he was abandoned by his mother. You wouldn't think God would experience me that. Alone. I wanted to slap him in the face. I wish Katie punched her. Punched him. Because you know she punches? Yeah. <laughs> Just right when he was like, you left me alone. Like, bam. Um, and then something smart ass like... <laughs> How can you be such a bitch or something like that? Yeah. <laughs> Valeri that would be great. He really didn't get his comeuppance. Not yet. I think she'll deal with him. Let's go over to one of my favorite scenes where Elliot and Q travel to Vancouver to the man's house to find the clock. But he isn't letting them in until Q notices the poster of Fillory and Further inside the house and starts to quote the Fillory book. The man softens and lets them in. Point for Q again. 
He knew he could appeal to his fillery nerdiness by just opening up that conversation. And then, of course, he lets him in. So again, point for Q. He recognizes it immediately because he sees the collectibles and eventually they go over to the little shrine table the man (laughs) has. And Elliot even says, there are two of you. Like it's a Quentin double. They're geeking out. Oh, yeah. Talking about the screenplay the man has of the failed movie adaptation of Fillory and Further. (laughs) The studio wouldn't pay for the talking bears, so the producer quit in protest. I love it. But it's then he reveals something, and Q realizes the books never said who the Watcher Woman was. So how does this man know that it was Jane? Who is he? And Elliot sees that he has horns, just like Ember. How did Elliot see that? He was behind him. Mm-hmm. The whole time while they were talking, he did a spell. And then you saw he had like a square with his fingers. Oh. So he was like seeing through this spell and he could see who he really was. I missed that or I would have put it on my new you spells were taking notes. list. Oh yeah, you're right. I should have let you know. This was great because I was really, I had a holy shit moment. Yes. Maybe I'm naive, but I thought he was dead and I thought we would never see him. And not for one second. Many times I'm really good, especially like right before it happens. I realize what's going on. I did not realize until he, Elliot says he has horns. I didn't realize they did a very good job of not talking about Umber this entire time. So you just forget about him. And unless I'm totally blanking because it has been a while since I read the magician's books, mm-hmm. I don't think he was alive in the books. I think this is a TV twist. Oh, that's cool. That's a good twist. You could see how they could get away with it because it seems like he's not going to be a part of it now. Anyway, so they're not changing too much, right? He just came in to explain more about the world in a way, hopefully that wouldn't feel like exposition because you're excited about getting a new character. So he's not just doing an info dump. Exactly. But also the info was really good. Now for half a minute, millisecond before we saw what Umber looked like, when he said he had horns in my head, I was like, this is where Ember's been hiding Mm. because we haven't seen Ember. So I thought for a second that was Ember. That would make sense. My only minor gripe there was, you know, when we saw Ember, it was nothing fantastic, but he did look different. He didn't look human. I liked where they went with the costuming. This looked like a man wearing face paint and contacts. It was so obvious and not a very great costume design. Take another look at him if you get a chance. The photo, maybe we can find one online. I, I, I thought they could have done better especially because we're going to talk about it later, he was always depicted as being sort of the better of the gods. You know, a little smarter, a little more loquacious, good, let's say, than his counterpart. Mm -hmm. But anyhow, we don't get into any of that yet. We just see the transformation and then the scene ends. Julia and Katie look at books that show images of lightning storms. It happened every time Persephone ascended from the underworld. She used to come every spring. Julia realizes if they kick up a large enough storm, Reynard may think she's back, and he might come. This is when Gaines comes back. How was spell practice? I can barely make a spark if I say it'd be easy. You know, no pressure or anything. Ever think about where you'd be if he hadn't? Rape me? No. I try to focus on who I was. It's getting harder, though. Reynard thinks he broke you, but there's no coming back from what he did. You think that's true? I hope not. Whatever happens, don't let him be right. And then magically forces her to go get some pizza. (laughs) So we realize he can do it to magicians as well. Yes. At this point, he breaks through Katie's wards and forces her to perform the ritual. 
so breaks through Katie's wards. Did she have like wards in her mind to to make sure she couldn't get mind controlled or something? It seemed like it because she put her hands to her head. Yeah. It's like, oh, you broke through my wards. I was thinking about how, you know, Penny is able to enter people's minds and read it with psychic magic. I assume Katie's the kind of person that would put some kind of protection against that. She might have even mentioned it yeah. back in season one. But it's really powerful. And this is the scene that upset me a little bit. Even though it's for a noble cause, mm-hmm. Gaines realizes that he doesn't want Reynard to win. It seems like there's no fighting him. It's why he looks at Julia and everything she's been through, what Reynard has done to her. There's no fixing that. So he knows he needs to stop him. And they haven't been able to find a way other than what Julia originally suggested, which was kill you and take your magic. Well, yeah, apparently he was practicing to no avail. And I think he's in panic mode. Reynard really got in his head with that. <sighs> so, yeah, part of it was noble, the sacrificing himself thing. The saying, Julia's been through enough, so I'm not going to do this to her. But then he turns around and essentially ruins Katie's life. He knows what it's going to cost her to have to perform the ritual. Yeah. And he doesn't ask her. He controls her the same way Reynard's been doing to everybody that he hates. It just felt out of character. You're right. It it is a little out of character. I, at this point, was wondering, because obviously at this point we didn't know what he's doing. We don't see that he's going to take her upstairs to kill him. Mm -hmm. I wrote in my notes, does it just look bad what he's doing or is he actually bad now? So back and forth in my head, I was like, okay, he looks like he's controlling them. But maybe he's doing this for a good reason. Or is it for a real bad reason? Apparently, I guess in his head, it was a good reason. And it is a good reason what he's trying to do, but they had just got done saying we have to teach him magic. We've seen what a good man he is. Now he's coming to realize his own power and potential, which could be enormous if they let him hone it a bit. I would have seen him giving that a try. It felt like they had to wrap up his plot line really quick, and it, it just ended a little too abruptly to fit in with the character and what we've been building amongst the trio. They might have done it abruptly on purpose to surprise you, though, you know? Yes. You don't see it coming. Yes, that, that's definitely true. And we will see the latter half of that scene. First, they cut to break Bill South, where Mayakovsky studies Alice's magic notes and says they are brilliant. She snaps at him, saying she doesn't have time. She understood everything, and now it's fading like a dream. Mayakovsky explains she's like a newborn again. She must relearn. I'm stuck in this... This oily, disgusting cage, and I, I can't even f- see, I can't do anything. On the contrary, you're finally in a position to do something interesting. What do you know? I know, as Niffin, you care about nothing but your own mind. So, congratulations. A perfect life with zero meaning. Now, as human... Humans are weak pieces of shit. Do you know what magic is? Energy capable of making this shithole world one fractional speck less unbearable. Because we shits try so fuck hard. And that, that is not weakness, believe me. You don't like this world? Good. You see it's false? It gives you focus and solitude to actually fix it. Adderall, to fortify you, makes you write like Tolstoy. Don't make face. Drugs are fun. This is the part I was speaking of where... Preach. She can't come to terms with how much frailty humans have, how limited they are. 
She doesn't want to lose what it felt like to be an all-powerful Niffin, have this knowledge and magic. And she can only see the bad. Your emotions and the things you can't do are so huge. Who would want to be a human? What is the point of it? Yeah. But Mayakovsky, ever wise, I like the way it felt like he shifted her <clears throat> just a little. <clears throat> yeah. Oh, for sure. Back to, to being Alice. And then what Q says to her shifts a little too, I think. I think they both make an impact on him. I think Q talks to her later, though. They both make an, enough impact on her that maybe there is hope. It's still very scary. She still has that look about her. Mm-hmm. Like she's niffing Alice. It doesn't look like old Alice at all yet. I love the comment to lighten the mood at the end where Mayakovsky tries to give her Adderall to fortify her. <laughs> now, Mayakovsky, if I was his friend, I get, like there's too many syllables for me to say Mayakovsky. So what, I would probably call him like Mayo. What's up, Mayo? Like, what's up, Mayo? He probably wouldn't like that though, right? It feels like it limits his coolness. What if I just say yo? No, he wouldn't like that. <laughs> now, is anybody watching him? Because I know by magic, he's trapped at Break Bill South for everything that he's done. And in a sense, he feels he deserves it. He's almost trapping himself. But if anybody was keeping an eye on this, don't you think he's done his penance? And especially bringing Alice back, he's paid for his crimes that he committed. I think so. I mean, it's not like it was underage love. They were grad students. At least in the show, they're grad students. Yeah, I think it's more the result of everything that happened. Mm. And it wasn't all entirely his fault, but it was a snowball that created some terrible events. But Maybe that's why they made him go to somewhere cold. Because it was <laughs> a snowball. Oh, my God. Sorry. I think he's definitely redeemed himself, and he's described more than once as being the best magician. They need him. Does he have to be banished to the end of the, the earth? Listen, even if he was at break bills, they don't help. No, so it's, it's, what do you mean they need him? And he's doing his own work down there. The grown-ups are like, let the kids deal with it. <laughs> Julia returns and sees Katie coming down the stairs with blood all over her. Gaines made her do the ritual to collect his power. Yeah, that was the latter half. It was like they split the scene. Not that I wanted to see him actually killed. That would have been terrible. But I would have liked to know what was this ritual. Mm, yeah, so you can do it on me? Exactly. <laughs> but Julia kind of squashes that and says, go get cleaned up. I'll finish it. I don't want well, you I dealing think- with this anymore. It had to be Katie that did this, because if Julia did it, Katie would have never forgiven her. We would have chalked it up as Julia can never be fixed. She obviously does not have her shade. With Katie doing it, we were like, wow, he really took over her mind. And now Julia being presented with it, without her shade, she cannot get emotional. Like, she won't get over emotional, and she'll be like, all right, well, let's deal with this. Get yourself cleaned up. We'll figure this out. You know what I mean? But yet again, she does the human thing. I feel bad for Katie, my friend, that had to go through this, so I'm going to take care of the rest so that she won't have to. Maybe, or she felt like she was thinking in a straight line saying she's very emotional, she won't be able to deal with it, I better take care of this. I hear you, but yet again, we haven't seen evidence of that shadeless Julia in two episodes. She has been acting emotional and affectionate and caring about her friends. She made the comment to Q earlier that she doesn't deserve him. And we saw when she came to Katie saying, I need your help. Mm-hmm. I know that I could be good if I had a friend like you keeping me on track. And she does 
very much value their friendship. So even before she gets her shade back at the end of the episode, she is able to be on the side of good. Well, Persephone did say she's a survivor. Mm -hmm. So I think she's finding a way to survive without her shade. And if it's her acting and still remembering what would I feel, she's still doing it correctly. In the poison room, Penny finds the book just as he realizes his skin is blistering. They are literally being poisoned. They have to get out. Penny and Sylvia both start coughing and collapsing, but Sylvia will not leave. She already knows she doesn't make it back because she read her book. If he carries her back, he dies too, she tells him. Leaving her is the only way he has a chance. This scene was really intense. Very intense. And after you read it that way, I'm starting to think maybe you were right. Maybe she knew all along. Mm. I don't know. There was just a finality to the way she said it, like she had accepted her fate. And I feel as though if I just read that in a book, I wouldn't be having that reaction. I would be freaking out. Then again, they don't have that many faculties available to them, a couple more seconds, and I don't think it would have mattered. They would have been dead. It's like its own defense mechanism the time it takes you to realize it's happening you're almost gone it was very realistic the blistering and boils on their skin and penny just barely gets out of there they separated it but i'll talk about it here because in another couple of seconds they give you a quick shot of penny returning and telling katie he has her book and then collapsing yes and that book is called the ars decidium the art of killing gods umber explains the condition he made with martin chatwin He faked his own death and left. So Martin knew about it, you think? Well, the way he explains it is he had to make a deal with him in order to not die and to spare his life. He says he gave him this condition that he had to leave Fillory. Okay, and fake his death. And how do you feel about turtles? Would you sleep easier knowing your entire world rests upon the back of one? Or several? You would make for an excellent focus group for my new world. Yeah, he's building a pocket world. (laughs) I love that. So spawn from that, I have to read a quote for you. Some of you may consider it a spoiler, a bit. So if you want to fast forward for a minute, if you're afraid of that. This is a quote from the magician's book from Professor March. If you feel curious about the nature and origins of the magical powers that are growing slowly and at great cost, remember the famous story of the English philosopher Bertrand Russell. Once Russell made a public lecture on the structure of the universe. Soon after, he was approached by a woman who praised him for being such an intelligent young man. But he was also very much mistaken, since everyone knew the earth was flat and stood on the shell of a turtle. When Russell asked her about that, what in turn supported this turtle? She said, you are very clever, young man. Clever. But it's just several turtles, one on top of another. It's turtles all the way down. The woman was wrong about Earth, of course, but she would have much reason if you were referring to magic. Great mages have wasted their entire lives trying to get to the root of it. It is a useless search, nothing entertaining and often quite dangerous, because the deeper you descend, the larger and more squamous the turtles become, and with increasingly sharp beaks, until finally they begin to look less like turtles and more like dragons. I don't really know if that's a spoiler, because I don't know what to make of that. And I was hoping you wouldn't, although... I have to put that out there anytime I take something directly from the book. I just thought it was really cool that he's talking about the basis of the world resting upon a turtle. And you have this thing pulled from the book where they talk about a story with turtles supporting it. 
I think it could be magicians knowing the things we loved from, from Lev the books. Grossman's novels and yeah. giving us the little winks. <laughs> <laughs> meant to fix Fillory. Of course I wasn't. No, you were meant to entertain like some reality TV star. Oh, Emma must have found you so boring. Boring? Fillory was created out of the unification of opposites. Ember is a creature of entropy and chaos. And you have every season of Law and Order on DVD. Most perfect show in creation. When Ember and I were together, there was balance. Without me, chaos reigns. Give up, children of Earth. Fillory cannot be ruled. Oh, this is really... It's sad. These children of Earth who have all cared so much imagined a world that could be better. Yeah. A magical place. And they go through all these incredibly hard challenges to get there. And then everything as we see with Elliot that he's encountering, trying to figure out how do I rule this place to make it better. Yeah. To be good. There's no ruling it. There's no doing a good job. The people responsible for it don't want that, don't care about it. You're just a checker piece for our games. Ember's there fucking with them because he can. Umber left because he could give a shit less and just didn't want to die at the hands of the beast. There's no master plan. No. Talk about having the curtain rudely ripped back. Yeah. And realizing there's no wizard. (laughs) There never was and everything's fucked. But I liked what he started here, and later he'll get into that more, the balance that was himself and Ember. Yeah. It was very necessary to have both of them, and that's the only reason Fillory was good for so long. Without him there, it's a mess. Yeah, Ember, I guess, is like the child who wants to just have fun and doesn't want to get bored. And Ember is the creator or the thinker, and he would keep Ember, I guess, I'm guessing all this, at bay, like, you know, you can't just turn everyone into rats. What the <laughs> fuck, dude? You know? By the way, how is that interesting? You turn them into rats, now what? They're just rats walking around. That's not fun. And why? It, it just, I don't know. It doesn't make a lot of sense. And I guess that's Ember in a nutshell. Well, yeah. Ember's in the sandbox. He's bored. He's going to start stomping on the castles. And again, yeah, hopefully more of this will come to light when we do their character review in a bit. And that's when we get the Cuba thing. Yes. I love that. Uh, Another magician's joke. Perfect. So I said in the Mr. Robot and our Westworld podcasts where I talked about, I really got into like, what what if we are in some kind of matrix or some kind of programming? Yeah. Well, I think now I should add that maybe Umber made our world. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. How cool would that be though? We're living in a pocket world. (laughs) Yes, exactly. We don't even know. Just like uh, Men in Black. When there's a, he opens a locker and there's a whole nother world inside of a locker. And it's a universe to them. Yeah. And then a bigger locker is opened and it's our world inside of that locker of someone bigger. Yep. It's just one of those things where your mind kind of bursts. And I've always liked the that possibilities. concept though. Me too, because I feel, it makes me feel like <clears throat> the possibilities for myself in this world are greater now because of the fact that I guess it is created. I don't know. It, it feels like I could, could take. I could take more control of it or something, stupidly. Control of my own world. Yeah, depending how big or small you are, because then I'll never forget the end of Men in Black, where you get to the bigger people, the gods or or creators, and it's just like marbles, all these tiny little worlds. Yeah. 
Meanwhile, Rafe tells Josh returning from the fairy realm is problematic. He only has the potion that takes you there. That's when Prince S comes in, wanting to know where his father is. He's pissed. And the Lorians cut the throats of several guards. That was a big step up that That I didn't see coming. They had enough. Yeah, I just, ugh, things feel very drastic and abrupt in this episode. Um, Yeah, but that's not drastic. They came in the first time when we met Prince S. They gave him a chance. That didn't work. Then they were going to have a war, and then that didn't work. Then their father comes, and now he's missing. That's it. I've had enough. I'm not giving you guys any more reasons or any more... Yeah, it just seemed they were way more reasonable and open to logic, and now (coughs) they're just killing people. Rafe and Tick are forced to lock themselves in a back room. Well, together with Josh, they try to hold off the Lorians from breaking in. Hakuna Matata has failed me. And I saw him take off his crown, and I was really nervous. I was like, is he giving up already? Because I had hope for this dude. But no, he, was, he had a plan, which was good. Get also, him all high. Also, though, remember, Josh was the one to bounce out last time it got too hard in Fillory. Oh, that's true. But I still think it was that girl who made him bounce. He's not the one I'm going to put my faith in, though, when no. shit hits the fan. Of course not. It's a few scenes later, but we might as well just put it in here. After that, in a move of desperation, Josh wafts a shit ton of potion smoke out the door, which incapacitates the Lorians. And he's then able to take the potion that transports him to the fairy realm. I like that. One of his main talents is the weed, right? Or cooking, bakering. All of his magic potions, up. yeah. So it was good. We saw his strong point. He was able to incapacitate them, just like he did the Foo Fighters. The Foo Fighters, yep. And I love this. He's like, all right. I'm going to have to take it. I'm going to have to save the day because he now knows where she, where Fen is. It's no longer going to be, I guess, as much of an empty search, you know? And he is stepping up a little because God only knows what the fairy realm is like. He's going to throw himself into that. But you're More leaving, than a little. You're leaving Fillory now again, though there's not one child of Earth there now. You've left it to Rafe and Tick. <sighs> yeah. But Good the, God. But for a bigger reason. And I think this is more than a little because he knows that possibly they can't get back. More than likely they can't get back. Oh, certainly. What I mean, though, is a responsible ruler would probably have said it's not a good idea to leave Fillory with Lorian slitting people's throat and my two very inept council members to take charge (laughs) of things. Yeah, I would have at least said put everyone in the dungeon and then I'll bounce. Oh, yeah, that's the solution, right? Dungeon. Yeah, that's what I would have done. Get everyone in the dungeon, and then when Prince S wakes up, I'd be like, listen, this is what happened. Ember has turned everyone into rats. We know where your father is. We have him. He's safe. Here he is. We're figuring this out. We didn't do this. Blah, 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 you know? Mm-hmm. Do the democratic thing, and then bounce. Be like, I got to go find, like, fill it all in, and then disappear. I think they'd be better off that way. Umber says he can't go back to Fillory. Ember turned everyone into rats. And remember, we were saying that. I was like, I'm guessing Ember did. Then there were some people that thought it wasn't Ember. We knew for a fact Ember took Elliot outside, out of the realm. But we were curious in regards to the rats. But I really had a feeling it was him. And Q and Elliot want to know why he's letting it happen. This is when Q gives that badass speech. Thank you, Q, for growing up. But Umber still says he can't. But he does let them have the clock. They aren't ready to give up yet, and he lets them try to save it, especially because of what Elliot said, divulging his feelings and and his true love for Fillory. Mm -hmm. But heed my warning, nothing entertains Amber more than a whimsical death. 
I'm going to bring this up now. Mm-hmm. I was going to wait till later. But I think this sentence alone says a lot. A whimsical death. But I believe it'll be Ember's whimsical death. Now that we know, and I'm skipping a little bit ahead, that Julia doesn't use that magic bullet to kill the fox, we're going to see this bullet come back into play with Ember, and they will use it to kill him. Well, it has to be, because we know that the magic put on it was specifically to kill a god. They went through all of that to be able to do so. Right. The only gods we know about are Reynard, who's not available, <laughs> Persephone, who I don't think we're going to kill, and Ember and Ember. The logical choice, obviously we'd want to see Ember killed yeah. because he's doing no good, but that wouldn't be much of a twist. So I actually was thinking you would expect it to be Ember because it's the shitty god. But it's probably Umber's death that we're looking at. Just to amuse Umber? Ember? <laughs> no, because otherwise there's no twist. I don't think everyone sees this coming, the bullet being used to kill Ember. What other gods are there? Well, that's true, but I don't know if anyone's reading that linear with it yet. I don't think people are saying to themselves, well, what about the bullet? Oh, I guarantee you they are. So you're saying I'm not smart? No, <laughs> just that the fans in general are very smart. And I think that you've reintroduced uh, the concept of Ember and Ember when we haven't seen them for so long. I mean, we have to think that, right? It's just a matter of which one is it going to be. Now, whimsical, though, throws me. Will the death itself actually be whimsical and how is getting shot with a bullet fit there? Uh, I don't know about, yeah, there's going to be a twist to it. Maybe they'll try to use the bullet or something. Mm -hmm. But what really has me thinking that is when Elliot is speaking to Q about his plans and how he wants to do this and he ends up sounding exactly the same way the beast did, mm. which was like take over Fillory, but he didn't mean it in a, in a mean way. Uh, which leads me to think, you're going to have to kill him. What else are you going to do? Yeah, but what happens to Fillory if you don't have both of these gods? We've talked about how in balance it needs to be with two of them. So I know one hasn't been there, but they both still exist. Are you going to have major problems? And wouldn't our magicians realize that? You know, hopefully they're going to uh, put two and two together. Okay, but then what do you, how do you resolve it? You tell them you'll have, like, games? <laughs> I have no idea. We'll call them gladiators? <laughs> I have no They'll idea. They'll fight to the death? Well, hey, there you go. <laughs> uh, that works. And let's talk about how much of a bitch Umber is. Why won't he go back? Is he afraid of Ember? I think so. Jeez. Or he just doesn't care enough. He tried this experiment in Fillory. It didn't go his way, so... He wants to make a new world. A, a new world. Clean slate. They're very fickle, these gods. Julia performs magic to put the essence into the bullet. We see that the bullet itself has markings on it. It kind of looks like a spell yeah. upon it, upon the bullet. Katie says they cleared out the whole infirmary because of possible radiation, but they are working on Penny. Thank goodness Jesus. we made a one-line reference to him. <laughs> and she found a spell that turns metal objects into God-piercing weapons. It took everything John gave them just to make one bullet, so they only have one shot. One shot, of course. It's the way it always is, isn't it? At this point, now we know, but I wrote in my notes, do we think the fox felt his son die? But I guess he didn't. I don't think so. But you would think that, you know, a god with his son, he would feel something like that. But maybe not. We said that in the beginning 
when his mother was hiding him, how did he not sense him anywhere? Quite often, I don't think he has that emotional connection because he doesn't care. Maybe if he cared more, it could be stronger. Then Katie and Julia do the spell that shoots off the lightning storm. They're standing in a field, looks like they're somewhere in the country with a barn behind them. And they hide inside of there when Reynard shows up, saying he knows she's there. She was always a drama queen. (laughs) It worked. He's looking for Persephone. Julia can't get a clear shot with her gun, though. So Katie goes out to distract him. Yet another of their harebrained schemes. Yeah, but Katie's so badass, man. She has so much moxie. Yes, certainly. It's a good play. She starts telling him about John. Well, Julia sneaks up behind him, but Julia is being none too stealthy. <laughs> and she cocks her gun. Cocks the gun. The sound is so loud. And it doesn't matter anyway, because before they can do anything, Persephone shows up. Reynard is complaining about how he abandoned her. Julia has eyes only for Persephone, and she says she ignored them. And where has she been? Why is she there now? Persephone asks them to spare Reynard's life and drops the bomb. She wants them to do so because it's her son. I did not see that coming either. Neither did I. Another thing I didn't see coming was she admits she knows what he's been doing. Yeah, that's fucked up. What Julia says to Persephone was real, legit. Like, she spells it out. Mm -hmm. I was raped. And all the things she went through, and she says, did you know about it? And of course she did. Just watching? Again, with gods. Like, why are you watching this and being okay with it? And we don't know that much about her. She seems like she really is a good goddess. Why would she let that happen? There's so much more here because she has been missing for quite some time now. Yeah. Normally There's every more. fall and spring, the, the seasons thing, when she ascends up to be with the rest of the gods, she mm. would know what was going on. Why hasn't she done anything? There is an explanation why she doesn't want Julia to kill him. She says there's consequences to killing a god. And also, she knows Julia is a survivor. She doesn't want her to let him rob her of her mercy, whatever goodness she still has. Yes. Yeah, so a few things. There's consequences to killing a god. I think that's a little foreshadowing for Ember. And it is true. Whatever gains Julia was having with her shade being gone, I think if she did kill the fox, that would have all been erased. It'd be the end of it. Yeah. Sure. And she knows it too. That's why she puts the gun down. Weird ending, though. Persephone leaves, just disappears, and takes Reynard with her. Yeah, I had in my notes. Why don't you ask her for your shade? Ask her anything. And why doesn't she say anything? Why did she just leave them like that? Katie's pissed. She yells at Julia. How could she let him go after everything they've been through? This means she killed John for nothing, which certainly does suck. Julia says it was the right thing to do, and Katie storms off. As Julia stands there alone, her shade shows up, saying Our Lady sent her. I was so happy for that. I was like, good, she didn't even have to ask for a shade. Well worth it. That means that this god does think more about the humans than the other gods that we are aware of. Yes. Crazy, (laughs) after all that, Julia is the one to show the mercy. And that shows great growth, and I'm glad it came out that way. I was thinking when Julia says, something feels right about tricking him with goddess summons. And I was like, more like something feels right about tricking the trickster god. Yes, very true. I did not see the fox being her son. I think that's a good play on the storyline for us. I thought it was the lover, you know, the way he was acting. Yeah. And now we see the way he's being such a bitch about it. Like, you left me, which we already talked about, but... uh, 
Where, did, where is she taking him? What is she going to do with him? She's going to go see dad. She said I'm going to deal with him. Yeah. If you leave him. They're going to have to go see Papa. Hades? Yeah. That is scary. Hades going to be not too happy. Oh, boy. Maybe that's when we'll get the full backstory on the underworld and such. But I think we have too much in the season finale to really cover that. No, so I don't think we'll go back to that until season three. I just hope that it doesn't happen where we'd never see the fox again. Oh, I want to see some and, redemption. And Persephone. Oh, for sure Persephone, but even on a different storyline with her. Yep. I want to know where she's been. Where you been? Q goes to see Alice to apologize for hurting her. He says he tried to do the right thing, but isn't sorry because she is alive. And then he leaves her to let her figure it out. Yeah, he kind of realizes nothing he's going to say or do will help right now. She has to work through it on her own. But the, th- the way he says it and the way he says, you are Alice Quinn. You are Alice Quinn. I think it was very heavy and very moving. And I think it did move Alice a little bit. Uh, perhaps. It's still not enough to make me feel good about it, though. Yeah, I might just be wanting what I want. <laughs> <laughs> and also when Q says the world's a better place when you're in it. Mm-hmm. It's like, so that's the third conversation that Q had, which was very either strong or passionate, that really makes me believe more in Q. And and emotionally honest, it goes back to the things that are good about Quentin, and if he would just realize that and work with that to step up to his role within the story, it would be much better for him. And the last part of the episode is the second half of that scene where he talks to Elliot about the way they're going to save Fillory. What is the plan? And we hear that Elliot's plan is just the same as the Beast had to conquer it. That was all the plot. And we actually covered all of our questions while we were talking about it. We also had Fillory quest number 12, Fairy Facts, which was just answering a bunch of questions on what you think about fairies. Yeah, I don't think the answer mattered much. But that background... That's what I wanted. I wanted to see the fairy world. That looked beautiful. Yes, and I'm hoping that means we will see more in the finale and perhaps the final fillery quest will reveal some information about the fairies. I really like the ones that tell us facts, Yeah. Uh, building the world up more. I think that's a big part of what companion websites should do for fantasy TV series. Just like Game of Thrones. So many facts when you go into there. Too much. I get overwhelmed. Okay, well, we don't need a lot of explanation because we have been talking about it. But Jason, what is your rating for episode 12? I'm going 9.8 crowns. Wow. I really enjoyed this episode. That is your highest of the season, is it it not? Coming hot on the heels of last episode, which was your highest to date, 9.7. So you went up a tick from the ratting. Well, I got to tell you, I love the way they're closing off this season. It's just ramping up and ramping up and we're getting answers and more questions and everything is intriguing. I really liked it too, but I hit my high with episode 10, The Girl Who Told Time, where I was at a 9.7. The Ratning, I went to a 9.5. Here, I'm going to go 9.4. So yeah, I really liked it. I'm loving the pace. I gave my pros and cons at the top and that's pretty much everything I have to say. It's, it's balanced, equally good and bad. I have a lot of hope for the season finale nailing it and really hitting that final note. So it's got its ember and its umber. <laughs> it sure does. But don't move too quickly into that segment. First, you have to tell me your MVM. I'm going to finally give it to Quentin. And it's probably been obvious the way I've been speaking about him. 
everything I've already said, so I don't I won't repeat it, but he's finally stepped up. He's no longer bitching. He's actually doing something about it and he's making people do what he needs them to do as well. He's learned his role, Quentin make peace. Yes. Cold water. Boom. Well, we're back to the same MVM. We've managed to avoid it for a while, but I have to also give it to Quentin just in case I don't have another opportunity because it's not too often that he gets to step up to the plate. And I don't mean that in a bad way. We love Quentin. That's his role. The plot doesn't afford him that. And it did here. So yay for Quentin. I don't know who that leaves me with to name for episode 13. (laughs) I'll have to get clever when we get there. I still have a penny left. Yes, you do. One more penny. You've been saving him. Let's talk Ember and Umber. This is going to involve another quote from the book. So if you're afraid of spoilers, again, you might want to skip this section. But I really think it just fleshes out the backstory a bit more, uh, not so much revealing anything to come. It says, For a long time after that, nothing happened. Then the water kind of gathered itself into a wave, and the wave threw up two big curly shells on the shore. They lay next to each other for a while, and then another wave came and left behind it a sheet of foam. The sand underneath them stirred and shook itself and sat up, and that was Ember. The foam was his wool. The shells were his horns. Ember went trotting down the beach until he found a couple more curly shells, and he nudged them around for a bit till they were next to each other and stood up next to them so his shadow fell over them. Then the shadow itself stood up, and that was Umber. They nodded to each other and went trotting together up into the sky. So Ember was first? Yeah, it feels like, and I've been saying it for a while now, since the beginning of season one, that they switched it. Because in the books, it was Ember that was first and Ember that was more, if you will. Oh. And Ember okay. that was the shadow. But here, it feels like the opposite. Maybe not, because Ember is so scared of him, or such a bitch, at least. Maybe Umber is the shadow, and that's why he doesn't want to go back. And that's why he was the one that died, or was uh, forced to pretend to die. It could be. This came from the Magician's Land, page 324. They go on to explain, Ember and Umber, also known as the Great Rams, are the dual ram gods of Fillory, somewhat analogous to Aslan in their role. And that's funny, we've made that comparison to the lion from The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. That's right. Each is significantly larger than a normal ram with large curled horns. Ember is golden and has a resonant baritone voice, where Umber is dark gray, also known as the shadow ram, and has a higher tenor voice. Well, that part's true, the description. Although it should also say Ember has let himself go to seed. (laughs) In the Fillory and Further books, they generally gave the Chatwin children a quest at the beginning and then returned at the end to send them home. In Magicians, Ember has been trapped by the Beast and Umber is presumed dead, but it later emerges the Beast was created when Martin Chatwin gave his humanity to Umber, who wanted to be a king as well as a god. So that part all mostly remains true, but please correct me if I'm wrong, I cannot remember Umber ever being reintroduced in the book. I'm pretty sure he stayed dead, but if, I, if I've mistaken that, you book yeah. readers, uh, write in. I believe Emily just finished the book, so she'll be fresh in her brain. Oh, there she'll you let go. Yeah. On to Clatcher's comments. I want to give a shout out to Fan Correct, which is fanatically correct, mm-hmm. leaving us an awesome review on our Magicians podcast. We really appreciate that. The reviews oh, are definitely great. adding up. So thank you so much. And a shout out to Kyle, who reached out to us on Facebook, says he's been listening to us and he really digs us. We really appreciate you being part of the crew. 
Spread the word. Let's keep this army growing. Also to Yumaya, who said thanks for another excellent magician's podcast and asked us from last episode, is it odd that Julia's shade was distressed in Q's vision but not in the underworld? And overall, I thought they responded much differently once we got to see them. Yeah. She even looked different. And then I wondered if I was losing it, but I could have sworn the actress that played Julia's shade looked different from the first time we saw her. I don't remember. Then again, Quentin was seeing all of this from a drug-induced state right. because of Josh's potions. So there you have it. Mel said on Twitter, you know who should have played the fairy queen? Lady Gaga or Lady Gaga. Ooh, I ever since... As Jimmy Fallon says. Ever since American Horror Story, ooh. Well, you didn't I, like her, but a lot of people did on that show. Oh, did they? They enjoyed yeah. her? Yeah, I wasn't too much about it. I didn't watch it, so I couldn't give you an answer to that. But we have seen a picture of what the Fairy Queen will look like, and she kind of looks like uh, David Bowie, really stoned, maybe. Wasn't that an option on one of the fillery quests? <laughs> oh, questions? that's right. What would a that's fairy right. look like? I've seen this picture on the website. It's like they've come with an army. She's on a horse. Mm-hmm. I say it's even worse now when you see a bunch of them. I'm like you, the makeup. Should have been better. I just don't dig it. It's not convincing. It's such a good opportunity for them. But Lady Gaga would have been awesome. I think it would have been great. You're taking us into talking about next episode, so I will give you your disclaimer here. If you're afraid of spoilers, we will see you next time for our season finale. Everyone that's still here, we have the synopsis for episode 13. We have brought you little cakes. Quentin, Elliot, and Margot enact a risky plan to protect Fillory. Penny questions fate and Katie makes a deal to help him. Could they have kept it more vague? <laughs> well, that's good. Hey, listen, we have brought you little cakes. Well, if Josh gets back in the picture, maybe he makes like some poisonous cakes. Oh, shit. And drugs him. That'd be interesting. That'd be whimsical. We, we mentioned this is a callback to the title from episode 13 in season one, Have You Brought Me Little Cakes? So we know we'll be seeing Ember and Umber. We also see the fairies are coming. <clears throat> the risky plan, we assume is the takeover, the conquering that Elliot suggested of Fillory. But Penny questions fate, and Katie makes a deal to help him. Sounds like they're going to be off on their own mission while the crew is doing this in Fillory. Questions fate, is that about the books? You know, your fate is written once the book is written? Oh, maybe, yeah. So what is he going to do? Is he going to try to change that? Talk to the Order about it? I wonder. And what does Katie's deal mean? She makes a deal to help him. Ooh, another deal. Deals aren't good in ma- the magician's world. Especially not with the order. I hope that's not the case. No. <laughs> How much worse could it get than your entire life and a million years of service from your soul? Yeah, but if they find out that the order is so bad and then they overtake it or like destroy it, then there's no contract. I don't know. I'm just... True, or maybe they learn that their purpose really is good after all. Yeah, true. Well, I can't wait Me neither. to hear all about that. Do you know if it's a regular time for our season finale, or will it run longer than I the I think it's episode? regular. They haven't said anything. Yeah. I know. So that concludes this episode. I hope you dug it as much as we did. And we did get into a lot of uh, theories and a lot of ideas, and I think some of them will be right, except for one of mine where I just like really guessed on stuff. But we do want to let you know what's going on. Since The Magicians is coming to a close, we have the finale next week. 
Then Christina and myself will do a bonus episode. We love to do those. Yeah, we do them at the end of every season. Typically, it gives you more information, stuff that we didn't have time to go into during the season. Having the book background, we tend to talk about the differences, ones that have already passed that won't create spoilers, (laughs) and other fun stuff you might want to know. And then after that, we've had a lot of our Clatchers suggest many cool shows for us to do, and we do appreciate that. Keep those coming. But in this case, we're not going to do any new shows. And the reason being is we have a lot planned. We have a special podcast in regards to our Sherlock channel that I think you guys don't want to miss, and it will be free. And we're going to also do a mid-catch-up podcast that kind of catches us up on all the other shows that have been off air. A lot of podcasts out there, for example, Game of Thrones, they'll keep doing Game of Thrones throughout the year. Yeah, we don't do that. off season. Right, we don't do that. So I think this would allot us the time to kind of give you guys a little update on every show that we're doing. It should be fun. Yeah, we're talking about our major shows, that being Westworld, Mr. Robot, and Game of Thrones. We won't do The Magicians, obviously, because... We're just finishing that. We'll get give any new news on all of that. We will have our Sherlock special, and we're probably going to start early prepping for the new Game of Thrones season. We typically do a recap of the prior season, one whole episode dedicated to remembering everything we forgot from last season, yeah. and then another one gearing up for the next season. Our theories, predictions, what's to come. We've only had one short trailer, but between now and then, I'm sure we'll have much more to share. So it's only a little bit of time till Game of Thrones comes back on. So within those weeks, we will be giving you content. Your best bet is to go to our main channel, which is the Coffee Clatch Crew podcast. That channel gives you every episode that we do for free. This way you won't miss anything. So we won't be disappearing. (laughs) Keep up to date. If you haven't followed us on our social networks, definitely do so. This way you know everything that we're doing next and you can be a part of it. And in the meantime, if that's still not enough content for you, please don't forget there's always Patreon, and that will keep going with no breaks, no changes to it. Once a month, we have our bonus podcast where we talk about all sorts of fun topics. And then at the next level up, we have a once a month movie review podcast. And you get access to the Clatcher's Patreon pages where everyone can communicate with each other. And we have great conversations there. We're actually getting ready to record our bonus this weekend, and we have some really fun content I can't wait to talk about. So that's a way to keep getting extra CKC podcasts if you're interested. Now, I don't know if it's the power of Senator Gaines, but I am starving and I want pizza. I have just controlled your mind (laughs) so that you will go out right now and buy us a pizza because that's what I want too. And chicken wings, please. So let's end the episode there. Till next week, this round's on me. This round is on me. Please hang up and try again.